Welcome to the Seek Podcast. We are so glad you're here. I'm Erin Falbo, your host for this season. Each week, we're sharing content that dives into the heart of the gospel, who God is, who we are, and what it means to live in relationship with Him. We're excited to walk with you as you encounter the Lord. You cannot imagine how I treasure the time with you and this privilege of being able to speak about Jesus. I thought I'd start with a little story. Um, The summer before I entered the convent, I quit my job, I moved home to be with my parents, and I thought it'd be something out of a Norman Rockwell painting. And it turned out to be more like a case study on separation anxiety. I don't regret it, it was very blessed. But one afternoon, my mom and dad were going grocery shopping, and they wanted me to come too. And I realized it was the perfect window for some much-needed alone time. So I was like, oh gosh, so tired, probably gonna take a nap, yeah, see ya. I watched as their car pulled out of the driveway. I was like, it's time for my song. And I was gonna blast it through the whole house. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of Phil Wickham's Divine Romance. I recognize this dates me a bit, but I have very few inhibitions about sharing it with you right now. It starts like this, a deep, deep flood, an ocean flows from you of deep, deep love. Yeah, it's filling up the room. Your innocent blood has washed my guilty life. And in your presence, God, I'm completely satisfied. And then it kind of takes off at this point, so just brace yourself. To you I sing, I dance. I rejoice in this divine romance. Lift my heart and my hands to show my love, to show my love. And then there's a guitar interlude. And at this point, (laughs) at this point I'm like spinning in the living room and it was like, it was like synchronized swimming without water. I mean, Classical ballet met hip hop that day. And I started flying through the kitchen with reckless abandon and I slam into my startled mom who goes, we forgot the coupons. Wow, this is some nap. We'll get out of your hair. I'm like, mom. So tonight I wanna talk to you about a divine romance. Specifically, I wanna talk to you about a divine person our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. So let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, the only name by which we are saved, we want to know you. And in knowing you, we want to love you. And in loving you, we want to make you loved. And just ask Jesus, that you would send forth your Holy Spirit upon us, that you would open our hearts to receive you in a new way this night and to experience your love. We ask this in your name, Jesus, amen. Son, Holy Spirit, amen. One of my sisters was sharing about her first ecumenical conversation she ever had at the age of seven playing in the backyard with her siblings and their Muslim neighbor friends, 
She and the little boy her age got into a discussion about God. And she said, my God is all knowing. He knows every single thing about everything. The little boy was elated. He was like, so does my God. My God is all powerful. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Sister was overwhelmed that they had so much in common. She looked, so is my God. And then thinking about Jesus in the Eucharist, she put her little hands out and goes, my God can even become small. And the little boy furrows his brow and he says, no, no, he can't. To which she replied, yes, he can. Remember, he can do anything. He crosses his arms and staunchly answers, God can never become small. And sister told me it was then she realized he just didn't know my God. Boy, she was virtuous even then. I would have been like, oh yeah? You're not coming to my birthday party, okay? <laughs> he just didn't know my God. Do we know our God? Our God is the most holy trinity. One God in three divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a communion of life-giving love. When the Father spoke his word, all of creation came into being. The word was with God and the word was God and everything came into being through him. Man and woman, the summit, the crown of creation, was the last act. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and it was very good. The devil, out of envy, tempted man and woman, using this deceitful line, God doesn't want you to be like him. As the catechism puts it, trust died in their hearts, and they chose to abuse their freedom and disobey. The insinuation was that God withholds from us, and that couldn't be further from the truth, from his calling us into being to share his very life with us. And after that fall, God immediately promises a savior. And in the fullness of time, God sent his son into the world, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. St. John of the Cross says, God the Father said everything to us in this one word. Our God became small, a one-celled embryo conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of his mother Mary. Taking on our humanity, becoming man, a body, experiencing hunger and thirst, fatigue, pain, more, in Gaudium et Spes, we read, by his incarnation, the Son of God has united himself in some way with every man. The angel Gabriel said, his name shall be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. His very name embodies his identity, his mission, his proclamation. God saves his coming is a revelation of the love of God for each of us. 
And this has eternal consequences for every human person, whether they recognize it or not. All of time and history actually revolves around the person of Jesus Christ. Either BC, before Christ, or AD, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. It's been 2,023 years since he revealed his sacred face. They can try and call it whatever they want, you know, common era. There's nothing common about the era after God became a man. Long before Ancestry.com, the genealogy of Jesus, his family tree, has been traced back to King David and Abraham and to the first man, Adam. The existence of Jesus and the events of his life are historical facts with documentation and evidence. We have names and numbers to mark these events. The location is clear and so are the ruling powers of the time. You know, we can get used to the story, we can take it for granted, but Christianity is distinct from other religions, Judaism, Buddhism, Islam, Hinduism, and in fact, it stands in stark contrast. Whenever people are interviewed at random, like on the streets of New York City or on college campuses about Jesus, we see that his existence can't be denied, but there are many opinions surrounding the identity of Jesus. So I don't know if you've seen these montages, uh, but it's like the interviewer's like, so who is Jesus to you? And it's like, um, he was like a really good person. Uh, he was a prophet, like the others. He was a moral teacher, taught us how to live. He was someone who loved everyone and never judged anyone ever. He was the son of God. I guess he was real, but he wasn't the Messiah or anything. C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity provides a basic and brilliant structure for this conversation about the identity of Jesus. So in asking the question, who is Jesus? Do you think he was God? If they say no, well, he said he was. So does that make him a liar? Because if he was lying about who he was, gosh, then he was deceitful, right? Manipulative a bad man, <laughs> or maybe he was a lunatic. Maybe he just like thought he was God, just downright crazy. Or maybe he was the Lord. Liar, Lord, or lunatic, he can only be one of these three options. This is what is so controversial about Jesus. He makes himself the central message of his teaching. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let me tell you about Catherine. Catherine drifted away from her Catholic faith in college, started dabbling in other religions and philosophies. After suffering two abortions with her boyfriend, uh, she broke off the relationship. An aching loneliness uh, and a steady need for God increased in her heart year after year. One day she was trying out meditation in an ashram, which is like this place of like Eastern yoga-like practices. And as she sat in the quiet, to her surprise, Jesus 
came into her meditation. She said he was wearing a robe, all white, and he leaned down towards her and extended his hand and said, consider me again. Consider me again. Catherine began a journey back to the Catholic Church and she remembers going to her first confession after years sobbing. (laughs) The power of his mercy was healing her heart. Jesus found her and revealed that his love for her was particular and infinite and his forgiveness total, tender and without limits. He had chosen her and wanted her to choose him back. He is not angry, vengeful, avoidant, condemning. He's inviting. Consider me again. Jesus revealed himself as God. This shook people up. (laughs) It caused envy, hatred, division, And it also excited the hearts of people who were awaiting and longing for a Messiah. The people of the day, they expected a Messiah to come in a worldly political way and resolve things. This was not Jesus' intention. My kingdom is not of this world. This was very surprising, a Messiah not coming in battle array, but into a poor family with a mother and a father. As he began his public ministry, the apostles are struck by him. There was something so compelling about Jesus. Jesus performed miracles. If you can imagine watching blind men approach Jesus and ask for their sight, and their eyes are opened for the first time, uh, the mute, unable to speak, suddenly talking, the deaf hearing, those with painful, frightful, and even disgusting conditions being healed with a simple touch. Demons were afraid of him, (laughs) and he cast them out. Jesus even raised the dead. I love when he raises uh, the only son of the widow. There's a funeral procession, and Jesus sees this, and I think he must have thought of his own mother, who would lose her only son as a widow, and he couldn't bear it. So he touches the casket and the boy arises and he gives him back to the mom. Jesus had command over nature. When the apostles were terrified that their boat would capsize, Jesus was asleep and they woke him and he rebuked the storm and they said, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey? And Jesus forgave sin. He taught and he spoke with authority, causing people to say, where did he get all this? No one has spoken like this man. But one day Jesus crossed a line for the Pharisees. He was teaching, the house was full. (laughs) And so four men brought their paralyzed friend in a stretcher through the roof to his feet. And in seeing him, rather than healing him outright, Jesus said, my son, your sins are forgiven. Everyone was like, what? Who but God alone can forgive sins? That is blasphemy. And Jesus heard their thoughts and he said, which is easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or rise, pick up your mat and walk? Just so that everyone knows that the son of man has the authority to forgive sins, rise, pick up your mat and go home. And he did. This would have spread like wildfire The reality is Jesus is still forgiving sins. 
He has the authority. One of our sisters, she's a little older and she's an Italian from Brooklyn, so she's kind of a straight shooter. And um, men were doing lawn work at our retreat center and sister caught wind that one of them hadn't been to the sacraments in a long time and he could only speak Spanish. So a Latino priest happened to be visiting that day and I don't know what else to say, but the love of Christ impelled her and she beelined it for this guy, interrupted the landscaping and with great love and authority approached him and said, Jesus, corazón, two. That literally translates to Jesus, heart, you. <laughs> and the guy burst into tears. <laughs> now, I'm taking Spanish classes at Phoenix College, and I just have to say, that sentence didn't even have a verb in it. <laughs> it didn't matter, because love speaks every language. Sister humbly took him by the hand and led him to the confessional. Jesus, heart, you, period. <laughs> he has a human heart and it beats for you and he wants your heart and he gives you his. Jesus allowed Thomas to touch his pierced heart after his resurrection and Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Jesus rose from the dead so that you and I can rise too. He calls us out of death into life. One of my favorite nights of the year is our annual Christmas caroling event at our convent in New York City. We have cookies, <laughs> vats of hot cocoa. The sisters sing every Christmas carol ever written for hours. Cri friends come, homeless people sing along. Um, cabs roll down their windows, the iPhones roll. One night, a woman stopped by. She started a conversation with one of our sisters. She was disillusioned, dissatisfied with life. She poured out her heart and sister told her how very loved she was. She felt prompted to give her her rosary. Here, this was my father's. I can't take this. No, it's for you. You meditate on the life of Jesus with his mother Mary. She'll lead you to her son. Then sister walked her over to our little crush scene in the garden. Seeing the manger empty, Casey asked, where's the baby Jesus? He's coming and we want to prepare for him. But you're right, it's awfully empty without him. Yeah, sister had to go but gave her a quick hug and Casey remained there at the manger scene. Two weeks later, the doorbell rang and it was Casey. She couldn't remember the sister's name, but she was like, a sister gave me her dad's rosary and I just wanted to tell her something. Um, would you mind telling her that that night I left my job at the strip club and I gave my life to baby Jesus? Now, only the Lord could arrange this, but four years later, sister was in Central Park and a woman approached her asking for prayers. And as sister's looking into her eyes, she goes, Casey? And Casey laughs, reaches into her pocket, pulls out the rosary and goes, sister, I pray it every day. <laughs> now, St. Paul, the greatest convert of all time said, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. Jesus casts out the spirit of death 
of meaninglessness, of despair. He casts it out and he gives us himself. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I invite you, I encourage you, ask Jesus to cast out this spirit of death and to bring you life in its abundance. Amen. Thanks for listening, friends. To hear more content from speakers like this, join us for Seek 24 in St. Louis, January 1st through the 5th. Visit seek.focus.org to learn more.